So Psalm 64, I believe it's page 410 in the Pew Bible, if you're looking there. It's about the middle of the book. If you just kind of open it up evenly, you'll get pretty close. <laughs> Psalm 64, we've been working through this series on the Psalms, and... Uh, And so let's, let's listen for the voice of God by his spirit through this portion of his word. Verse one. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They, they search out injustice, saying, we've accomplished a diligent search for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. But God shoots his arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. And all who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears and tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. Lord, show us your truth. Give us a sense of your wisdom. Uh, help me to communicate what you are saying to us with clarity and with passion and conviction. And may we respond joyfully before you to what you have for us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's the words spoken in secret that often wound the worst. You may have noticed Wounds caused by words spoken in secret, in the hidden places, the uh, imagined places that do the most damage sometimes. Uh, as I was working on this text, just trying to understand what it was saying and what God would want me to say through it, uh, I was struggling to try to, to think through the ways by which, and the text used the word enemies, the ways by which enemies may have done damage to me by words formed in secret. 
and the various things came to mind. I, I, I was particularly mindful of a, of a story from my past, uh, from a very long time ago, actually. Uh, and I struggled to know whether to share it with you, and um, I talked to my wife about it, and she said, no, you better, you better let this one out. and let it be heard. It was grade six. I was uh, a lot younger than I am now. (laughs) It was almost, I was thinking, almost 50 years ago. I was a little guy. Still not a particularly big man, except for parts of me. But I, I was a little guy, uh, not the most popular guy in the school, you know. Maybe some of you can relate to that. And I, this wasn't typical of me, I have to say. But for some reason, I was being a good guy <laughs> that day. There was, as I recall, there was no one in the classroom I'm not sure whether this was at the end of a lunch break or after school or what, but I decided to to clean up the classroom a little bit. So, uh, like I said, not typical, but for whatever reason, I began to gather up the workbooks. You know, I think there was this stack of books that were, I think they were math books or something, you know, the kind you would scribble in. And I was gathering them up and putting them away when I noticed uh, some writing on the back of one of the books. And then I noticed in a hand I didn't recognize, looked like a feminine hand, my name. And um, a statement that was really hard to read about me. (laughs) I wasn't sure I was actually even brave enough to share it with you this morning. But my wife said, do it. (laughs) Kenty Anderson has to go potty. What was that? Childish, silly, and incredibly damaging to my self-image, which was fragile at the best in those days. No one, no one had called me Kenty in years, except for my grandfather, but that was okay. I was, you understand, I was just in that transition moment in life, you know, when you're starting to, to think of yourself, myself, as more of an adult, you know, it's, I, I, at least trying. I, I was just beginning to notice girls. And here's this, this girl, just randomly, for no reason that I could imagine, completely in secret, feeling free to write this 
unkind, demeaning statement out there for anybody to read. Is this how people thought about me? Is this, is this how girls saw me? Is, is, that, is it true that I'm this little runty child who can't control himself? Is like an arrow out of nowhere that, that struck my soul. And you know something? This is the first time I've spoken of that in all those years. I never told the teacher. I never told my parents. Until this morning, I've never told my wife. And now here I am telling you. <laughs> but I guess I came to the point, having read this passage, that I recognize that sometimes you have to shed light on darkness. Sometimes you have to let the lie out from the dark where it can be seen for what it is. The text is written about the enemy, about wicked people, evil people. Was this person, whoever it was that wrote this, I, I have my suspicions, but I'm not sure that's helpful. Was, was that person evil in that moment when they wrote those words? Were, were they acting as my enemy? Well, I think it's unlikely that that person was thinking in those terms. It's just a childish thing to say. Were I to encounter that person today, I doubt that we would take that tone. Enemies. And yet I have no doubt that in that moment, that person was acting as the servant of the enemy who spoke a lie into my life that has been hurtful to me all these years. And there comes a moment, as I said, when it becomes important to shed light on the lie and to appreciate the truth. Folks, we don't always recognize this. I mean, I go through great long periods in my life without hardly even thinking about well, certainly about that event. It's a rare thing for it to come to mind, to tell you the truth. Uh, we go through long periods of life without really thinking in terms of maybe even of evil and enemies and such things. But I'm telling you from this text and from other places in Scripture and from life experience that 
We all struggle against an enemy who is at work in this world to spread fear and lies and hate overtly and covertly, directly and indirectly, culturally and personally in ways that damage the intention of God in the deepest places of our hearts. And I'm here to tell you that despite that truth, that it will not stand, the lie will not endure. Our fears will not be fatal as we trust in the God who gives us grace by his son Jesus such that we may know truth, we may stand in that truth, and we may shine before him. Hear our voice, O God, in our complaints, in those moments when we experience the pain and the frustration, the anger, the shame. We want to complain. Hear us, Lord, complain. Hear us, Lord, as we express our shame and fear. And preserve us, Lord. Preserve our lives from dread of the enemy. Preserve our lives from dread of the enemy. I want you to notice the direct object. The enemy. I'm not one to spend a whole lot of time talking about our enemy. I have this sense that um, that sometimes by talking uh, excessively about the evil one, about Satan, the devil, we have all kinds of names, the enemy, the text describes, that we, we give too much honor and sometimes the best thing is just to ignore him <laughs> but the, de- the, te- the text describes evil in personal terms the enemy the one who stands against our God and all that our God represents. But there's something else that's really worth noticing here that that surprised me a little bit. Notice how this sentence is constructed. Preserve my life from fear. 
from dread of the enemy. Notice the text does not, does not say preserve my life from the enemy. That's giving the enemy too much credit. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy because it's not so much the enemy himself, it's the fear that will cause us the greatest damage. You understand? The enemy is beaten. The enemy is over. But it's fear of the enemy. It is acting as if the enemy still has power over us when that power has been beaten forever by the work of Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? Don't fear the evil one. Seek the grace of God which will preserve us from the damage that our dread will cause. Do you hear that? Hide us, Lord, from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords. See, the instrument of the enemy, in this case, are words. Words. It's quite an image, isn't it? wet their tongues like swords. A couple of weeks ago, I took, uh, uh, I have a, it's kind of, so, I, sometimes I like to shave with a straight razor. It makes me feel manly or something. <laughs> it's probably part of that whole self-esteem thing I was just talking about. <laughs> and, and I took the blade in to be sharpened professionally because you got to do that once in a while. And I watched the, uh, the man as he spent half an hour wetting the blade against a stone. I think about that. Who wet their tongues like swords, like blades. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Really? Not in my experience. When the words of a child can affect a person for 50 years, give me the temporary pain of sticks and stones any day. You know what I'm saying? The instrument of the enemy is the tongue sharpened and wetted like a sword, like the, the point of an arrow. I remember in Ephesians 6, verse 16, it talks about the poisonous darts of the evil one. The poisonous darts, shooting, or aim bitter words like arrows, verse 3. Bitter words like... That's what it felt like to read those words all those years ago, like an arrow that came out of nowhere. Here I was just trying to be a good guy, and words, and their power. Bitter words like arrows shooting from ambush at the blameless. People who didn't deserve this. People of whom these words are not worthy. 
shooting at him suddenly and without fear. The one who should be in fear, the one who wields these evil words, acting as if fear has no place. They hold fast to their evil purpose. The purpose is evil behind these words. They talk of laying snares, tripping us up with these words and doing so secretly, secretly, saying we've accomplished a diligent search. Uh, sorry, I'm secretly thinking who can see them. They search out injustice, saying we have accomplished a diligent search for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. It's quite a thing. Verse 6, people who are literally seeking out ways in the deep and dark places in their hearts to act unjustly toward others. These people, sometimes even unaware to themselves of what they're doing, I read this and pondered it and tried to, to think about ways this, this finds expression in our lives today. I described one way I experienced this sort of thing. There have been many others, of course. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of different ways that words have effect in our world and in our lives to undermine truth. Some of those ways are cultural. Sometimes those cultural expressions are covert, under the radar. And sometimes they're overt, you know, right out in front of our eyes. And they're no less damaging either way. Cultural messages that suggest things like, well, that... Uh, that it's all about the self. That, that everything's good as long as you're happy, as long as you're experiencing pleasure, as long as you have money, as long as you're empowered, it's good. Other words that maybe are more directly destructive, that challenge our sense of worth and value. Words that Maybe on the surface are described as jests, as taunting, subtle taunting, teasing. And yet underneath are crippling and destructive. I, I was thinking about this, this whole thing about teasing. Like, we all do it, right? Tease each other. I heard somebody say this on the radio this week, actually. They said, you know, I only tease you because I like you. I've said that. Like, if I didn't like you, I, 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 I wouldn't tease you. Like, well, then why do I do it? I, I read a study this week that suggested that as many as 15%, maybe more, but 15% of children these days are traumatized by teasing that is thought to be harmless. Words that do damage, that undercut our sense of worth and value. 
other words that are more personal, uh, words that are, are, are direct, uh, words that describe uh, God is dead. Faith is for the weak. Truth is socially constructed. There's no foundation. On and on. Words we hear in passing, words that we see in big, bold print, words that we barely recognize, words shot like arrows by our enemy to undermine the truth about the world, about our God, about our very selves. But... Verse 7. There's a great big but there at the beginning of verse 7. When you read scripture, notice those words, those little connecting words, the, the, the words that, that make, a, make the grammar work. They search out injustice. We have accomplished a diligent search. The inward mind and heart of the man are deep. But, and thank God for this but, God shoots his arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. It's like the arrow is shot and God reaches out and grabs it in the air and turns it around and flings it right back at them. And they are undone by their own actions, by their own words, as their tongues are turned against them. And all will see, all who see them will wag their heads. And all mankind then will fear. Not fear of the one who, who shot the arrow, but fear of the God to whom we will be accountable. And tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Be sure, the scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. No one gets away with anything. Words spoken to hurt, wicked and evil words will always come back against us. There is justice. There is righteousness. God will not be mocked. His truth will ultimately triumph. We see this in smallish ways if we look long enough. And ultimately, we will see in dramatic ways. I, I mean, there's a lot of times you read other Psalms, Psalm 37, many of them, that, that talk about why the wicked seem to prosper. And they do for a while. They seem to for a while, depending on how you measure prospering. You, know, you measure it as, as social influence, as you measure it as, as financial wealth, as you measure it by uh, the wielding of power. If you measure it by those things, they seem to prosper for a while. We have short memories, and we don't always keep watching to see the end of the story, right? And sometimes you track that evil all the way to the end and you'll see a different story. I mean, sometimes it's very dramatic. We're seeing that in these days, the, the um, evil of abuse that 
is coming to light in so many ways. And while it's, uh, while it's a painful thing for so many of us, it's, it's a good thing to see justice served in so many cases. And you know by faith, sometimes you have to know this by faith, but you know by faith that at the end of the time, at the end of time, all truth will triumph and all evil will be judged. And it is only by grace that any of us will stand. But stand we will, those of us in Christ. I stand before you in this moment. And uh, the secret is, the secret is I'm a lot more than what you see before you. You know, with the necessity of my glasses and my middle-aged paunch and my uh, graying hair. I, that's why I cut it really short so you don't see so much gray. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't, my, my faltering words, my attempts to, to communicate with you that don't often or don't always hit the mark. I'm more than this. I'm more than this. I have lots of reasons to doubt my worth, but I have every reason by, in, in, in confidence in the God who has created me in his image and who has forgiven me by his grace in Jesus Christ and who has made me perfect in him. And who has a forever future for me in his presence. Holy, perfected by his grace. Received forever in his presence with joy. It's kind of hard to see, isn't it? <laughs> One day, we'll all stand and we'll all be seen for who we really are. Every one of us in Christ. One day. One day. Remember that story when Jesus and a few of his handpicked disciples went up to the top of the mount. We call it, today we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And they went to the top of the mountain. Do you remember that story? And just for a moment, just for a moment, the clouds opened up, the sky opened, and the glory of God came down upon Jesus. And just for that moment, we saw Jesus as he really was. We saw the truth about Jesus completely unveiled, completely open. It said that his garments, his face, his whole being shone. Shone. His, his clothes were like whiter than any launderer could possibly have made it. And the, the, the writer struggled to provide words to express the truth of this glory in the face of Jesus, just for that moment. And it was gone, and the sky closed back, and Jesus went back down the hill. <laughs> I long for that day. when We'll stand before God, and his glory will be seen in us. It's a reflected glory, right? It's like, it's not my glory 
It's his glory reflected in me, made powerful for me, and it is glorious. You can't see it right now. I promise you, one day you will. I'll see it in you. In you. In you. In you. Let the righteous, verse 10, let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord. Well, who among us is righteous? None of us in ourselves, but in Christ. We stand righteous and we rejoice in the Lord and we take refuge in him. Let the upright in heart exult. Exult. I had to look the word up. What does it mean to exult? I mean, it sounds great. Woo, exult. I, I, I don't know. I, what does it mean? It's the word, the, the Hebrew word halal. You've heard that word before. Halal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what it means? Other than just this general sense of joyfulness? It means to shine. To shine. And in this passage that begins by talking about evil, wicked stuff done in the dark. What we really need to do is shine. Shine the truth upon the lie. Blunt the impact of the arrow by the power of God's glory and shine. We need to shine truth into this world. We need to tell truth. Perhaps that's why I had to finally bring that little secret story out into the open and let the truth shine on it because I am not that child, that diminished little kid. I am forgiven and empowered, made glorious in Jesus. And it is by that grace I stand before you today. You know, I don't know that I have a lot of like out and out, like overt kind of would own up to it kind of enemies in my life. I, I don't really live my life that way, going around making enemies. <laughs> like, and, I, and I would have a, like you say, who's your enemy? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's a couple of people I struggle with sometimes, <laughs> you know, but I'm not sure I'd call them enemies. I don't think they would think of themselves that way. I, I, I wondered if maybe that was because I don't live my faith overtly enough, you know, like maybe I would have more like enemies if I was more obvious about my convictions, if I spoke of it more, and, and that's actually a convicting thing for me to think about and pray about. But I recognize this morning that some of you might. There, there might be some of us here this morning who are dealing with people who are actively and directly in your face speaking evil to you. People who are actively acting against your interest and, and not afraid to say it. If that's the case for you this morning, Wow, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry you have to deal with that, but 
I want to speak truth into your life. I want to shine truth, which is to say you have value. You are worthy as a child of God created in his image. You are not of no account. You have a purpose in the world because there's a God who created you in his image and who loves you forever and has a purpose for you and has a future for you. And you can stand before anyone, before your abuser, before your enemy, before the one who's competing with you, who is trying to undermine you. You can stand in confidence knowing that truth will triumph. God will not be mocked. And by his grace, should you choose to receive it, you can stand and shine. Receive that grace today. Receive it in Jesus. Those words spoken against me all those years ago no longer plague me. I mean, they're still there. I, it, obviously, it came to mind this week. But they have been blunted over the years by many expressions of, of encouragement and affirmation from God's people and other people. I've actually, somebody told me to do this when I was young, and uh, I, I was smart enough to make it my practice, and I, I still do this, and I'd recommend it to you. Um, it's been a good thing. I, whenever anybody has sent me an encouraging note or, or a card, you know, with some encouraging words on it or an email where they thank me for something or anything like that, I've, I've kept those notes. I've printed those emails and I have a file that's getting pretty thick. And it's not like I go down and, you know, read it every week. <laughs> but I know that it's there. And I know that it means that people have appreciated me and that God has, has blessed others through me. And, and I take encouragement in that, those words, those life-giving words. But there's another more profound word by which I stand, the word that I find here in the truth of, of the scripture that reminds me of who I am and who we all are in Christ. And it's by that grace that we will stand together and we will shine. Amen? Amen.